possibilities. The Palace Theater, your palace, your place. Shows for the whole family. Waterbury Palace, your palace, your place. Waterbury Palace Welcome to the Palace Theatre's Broadway Buzz, presented by Webster Bank. My name is Stuart Brown, founder of the 24-7 online Broadway music radio station, SoundsOfBroadway.com, playing the best from Off-Broadway, Broadway, and the London stage. I'll be your host for this podcast series. On today's episode, we'll title it, Movies Turned Into Musicals That Have Played the Palace Theatre. There have been a number of shows in this category, Legally Blonde, Hairspray, The Producers, For our program today, I'm going to spotlight Kinky Boots and Newsies. So let's start off with the musical Kinky Boots, which very simply tells the story of a British shoe factory that found success crafting ladies' footwear for men. Here's the backstory. For four generations, the W.J. Brooks Shoemaking Company in Northampton, England, was known for producing quality men's footwear. But as cheap imports flooded the market in the 1980s and 90s, The demand for well-made, expensive shoes began to dwindle, and by 1997, Brooks cut its staff from 80 local employees to 30. Just as all seemed bleak, the company received a call from a fetish store in Folkestone, which commissioned them to create lady shoes for men. Soon, Divine Footwear was born, a subsidiary of W.J. Brooks dedicated to making kinky boots. By 1999, These specialty shoes made up 50% of the company's revenue. This extraordinary transformation tale caught the eye of BBC documentary series Trouble at the Top, which featured the kinky boot story as an example of the ups and downs of British business. Despite the media attention, Divine Footwear ceased production two years later in 2000. Now that would have been the end of the story, except for the intervention of producers at Harbour Pictures, who saw the BBC program and wanted to turn the real-life story into a fictional film. Tony winner producer Daryl Roth saw Kinky Boots at the Sundance Film Festival and was immediately taken with the story and its potential as a musical. She first reached out to Tony-winning director and choreographer Jerry Mitchell, who, according to Broadway.com, said, I watched the movie, cried twice, and called Roth back saying, Yeah, this is an amazing story, a really important human story, and I would love to tell it. A second piece of the puzzle fell into place when Tony winner Harvey Firestein agreed to pen the show's book. The third and final piece was when Firestein convinced Grammy-winning pop star Cyndi Lauper to step into unfamiliar territory and create her first musical score. Lauper told the New York Times that she was nervous about making the jump from performer to theater composer. Jerry Mitchell knew that since Lauper herself was a rebel, she'd be ideal to write songs about nonconformists and strugglers who share a love of shoes. Ironically, the now 67-year-old artist is not perceived as a composer, even though she has sold more than 50 million albums and 20 million singles, making her one of the best-selling artists of all time. The musical Kinky Boots contains songs and styles that range from pop to funk to new wave to tango, with highly personal lyrics and several standout ballads. It was Firestein who approached Lauper for the job. Lauper said, and Harvey called and said, What are you doing? They had been friends since Miss Lauper sang True Colors for Mr. Firestein when he was honored by the AIDS charity Amphar in 2003. Adopted as a gay anthem, the song gave rise to her nonprofit foundation of the same name. 
Firestein said he saw in the adaptation an opportunity to work with someone with a big musical range, somebody who could write club music along with show tunes. Even before Kinky Boots tried out in Chicago on its pre-Broadway run, a remix of the number from the show Sex is in the Heel made the top 10 on the Billboard club charts, the first Broadway show tune to do so in 25 years. Both Firestein and Lauper found resonance in the show's themes of uncovering identity, acceptance, and creativity as an outlet for change. I knew she would get the message of the outsider, Firestein said, explaining their friendship. We come from similar backgrounds. She's from Queens. I'm from Brooklyn. She had her first album cover outside the Wax Museum of Coney Island for She's So Unusual, her 1983 solo debut, which produced four top five Billboard hits, including Girls Just Want to Have Fun, Shebop, and Time After Time. I wrote a whole play about the place, Firestein said. We made our splash around the same time in the early 1980s. There's an affinity there. That didn't mean the collaboration was easy. In a working marriage straight out of a camp fantasy, they took to referring to each other as characters from Mommy Dearest. I'd call her up and say, Christina, I need those lyrics. Where are those lyrics, Christina? I can't sing my daughter's praises loud enough. I had to torture her to get her to do what I wanted her to do. According to Firestein, most pop stars come to you and say, Oh, you want me to write a Broadway show? Here's all my songs. Have a good time. Cindy came in and did the work. Miss Lauper reworked the material once the cast, which included Stark Sands in the role of the factory owner and Billy Porter as the drag queen Lola, materialized. Most composers don't do that either, Firestein said. Most composers are like, this is what I wrote. According to Firestein in an interview with the New York Post, there's a huge difference between movies and the theater. Movies, he said, are about story. Theater is about ideas. You have to have something more to keep people in their seats for two and a half hours. So with Kinky Boots, I've amped up the story between Charlie and Lola. Both feel they are total failures to their fathers, but they become friends and help each other achieve success that even their fathers would have been proud of. He said the biggest difference between the movie and the show was that the movie is, of course, at its core, about the saving of a factory, and the musical about two young men who come from seemingly opposite worlds who figure out that they have a lot in common, beginning with the need to stand up to their dads. Both Mitchell and Firestein said they didn't want to overemphasize the potentially camp aspects of the Kinky Boots plot, perhaps scaring off straight men, a notoriously fickle group when it comes to buying theater tickets, but then again, they also didn't want to apologize for the mascara, and nor do they want the show's humor and zest to be torpedoed by the dour business of an industrial factory fighting for its life in a struggling part of recession-smacked Britain. Cindy Lauper's inspiration for the music came first from the Broadway albums she listened to growing up in Ozone Park, her mother's copies of South Pacific and West Side Story. But the 15 songs hint at her magpie sensibility. More than many veteran musicians her age, her influences run from the of-the-moment artists like Lana Del Rey in the same breath as Aaron Copeland's Appalachian Spring. A comic number, The History of Wrong Guys, that could have been one of her 1980s hits, took its title from a line in Kung Fu Panda. When they began the project, Harvey Firestein said he was hopeful that Kinky Boots would cement Miss Lauper's reputation as an artist with a singular vision. Our business is just so hard on women, he said, and she's had the battle to be taken seriously, not because she's a woman, but a woman with that accent and that voice and that persona of, look at me, I'm just having a good time. And that's not what Cindy is about. She's battled the sexism of the recording industry of the world. 
Lauper was on message as a feminist from her first days as a singer with the band Blue Angel. Girls Just Want to Have Fun, her breakout as a solo act, was an intentionally rebellious sing-along, and in the video, she made sure to have a range of ethnicities and sizes long before that was de rigueur. Her punky look, too, made a lasting imprint. Though there are plenty of hooky, rousing numbers, the emotional heart of Kinky Boots is several ballads about the weight of parental expectations. She said, All I want people to understand is when you have a child, you have to help them be who they are and who they want to be. In person, Cindy Lauper is equal parts maternal and feisty. The timing for her involvement with Kinky Boots wasn't bad for Lauper. I could have done something like this before, but it would have wrecked my career. They'd never let me back on the radio. I am a pop writer, she said. Lyrics for musicals, after all, can't just be ever-intensifying restatements of a theme, a la, say, true colors, but are expected to actually move a particular story along in something close to a linear fashion. Don't deny what you are, she said, now seemingly addressing herself. You are what you are. You've been brought up with the suits telling you, where's the hook? Why don't we hear a song from Kinky Boots? There are so many good ones to choose from, but I thought we would start with the opening number, and this really sets the stage for the musical. This is The Most Beautiful Thing in the World. Trust your feet in Christ and Son, our work is tried and true. Practical, pragmatical, steadfast and steady, steady too. If you stroll or saunter, ramble, hop, jump, hop, or run. comes in spring and sparrow or when the sun rise it's the morning dew but if you walk the straight and narrow you'll find the elegance and comfort is a do you know what the most beautiful thing in the world is charlie a show the most beautiful thing in the world The most beautiful thing in the world, Charlie, that I know. Sing it, Charlie. The The most most beautiful thing in the world. The most beautiful thing in the world, Charlie, is beautiful. For generations have paved the way before you. You'll be next in line when my time is through. And there's a saying handed down, I found a value. That you can tell about the fella from his shoes. <laughs> the most beautiful thing in the world. The most beautiful thing in the world, Charlie. That I know, I know. The most beautiful thing in the world. The most beautiful thing in the world, Charlie. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But what if I don't want to make shoes? You're a right funny kid, you are.
things off their feet and get inside here, stupid boy! you about. Come have a look-see. Aren't they the most necessary things ever? If you want to slip a ring on my finger, you'll first slip these shoes on my feet. It's a tad posh for life in Northampton, wouldn't you say? Then good thing we're moving to London. And won't they make a fitting farewell to the stink of cattle farms and tannin leather? Oh, we may have been born in a small factory town, but we're sure as hell don't have to die there. You see the price? There's three months' rent. Pinch them or pay for them, that is up to you. But these shoes are in my future. <laughs> Two new beginnings, hello to sunny days. is right here at this factory. You belong here. No, Dad, I belong with Nicola in London. No, you belong here. Will you toast my journey? But to leave your home and family for a job shopping in London? Marketing, Dad. Richard Bailey has offered Nicola and me positions marketing real estate. You're breaking my heart, Charlie. To you, Dad. Shoes can protect a man's journey, but only his heart can choose the path. And so a toast to our own Charlie. May you never fail to point your shoes back home. To Charlie, it's beautiful, it's beautiful. To Charlie, it's beautiful, it's beautiful. Charlie, these shoes are symbols of our family's history. You're talking about shoes. The most beautiful thing in the world. The most beautiful thing in the world. Charlie, it's From Kinky Boots, that was the most beautiful thing in the world. We'll be back with the Palace Theater's Broadway buzz and the musical newsies after this short break. Where can you hear the best music from Off-Broadway, Broadway, and the London stage? The answer, soundsofbroadway.com, your 24-7 online Broadway music radio station. Listen to selections from well-known, popular, and more obscure musicals for the most diverse playlists anywhere. That's soundsofbroadway.com. Let's go on with the show. We're all living through an unusual time together, but each one of us is dealing with it differently. Webster Bank is here to help you move forward. 
at whatever pace is right for you. Whether you're taking small steps or big, bold ones. Whether you're refocusing on your future, re-energizing your business, or reconnecting with everyone you love, Webster will help you take your next steps on your time. Welcome back to the Palace Theater's Broadway Buzz. My name is Stuart Brown. The second movie to musical I'll be discussing is Newsies. The story of Newsies is one of those inadvertent Broadway success stories. Most people probably don't know that Newsies, as originally developed by the Disney company, was not supposed to be Broadway-bound. The musical is based on a relatively unknown 1992 Disney musical film of the same title, which was poorly reviewed and failed at the box office. The film, which starred a very young Christian Bale in the lead, has become a sort of cult classic. Disney's modest ambition for the show was to create a stock and amateur version, the rights for which would be released after a world premiere at New Jersey's Paper Mill Playhouse in 2011. Surprisingly strong notices from the New York critics led to a Broadway transfer. Praising the spring-loaded athleticism of the young, largely male cast, David Rooney in the New York Times wrote, Sure, the score bulks up the galvanic anthems and slathers on the sentiment, but it does so in an honorable Disney tradition that connects with the embattled kid in all of us. The story of Newsies is a fictionalized account of the 1899 strike of New York newspaper boys against Joseph Pulitzer, as well as other newspaper publishers. In order to increase revenue, Pulitzer arbitrarily decided to raise the newsboy's price from 50 cents to 60 cents for 100 copies. The newsboys, largely runaways and orphans living in communal flop houses, form a union themselves under the leadership of 17-year-old Jack Kelly and his newfound buddy, Davy. They expand their support into a children's crusade against exploiting children in factories and, and sweatshops, slaughterhouses, and the refuge, a cruel and corrupt juvenile jail shelter. The newsboys are aided in the stage version by fledgling reporter Catherine Plummer, music hall performer, proprietor Meta Larkin, and ultimately Governor Teddy Roosevelt. The idea of putting Newsies on stage began when actor and playwright Harvey Firestein met with composer Alan Menken in his office decorated with posters of his hugely successful films such as The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and Pocahontas. At one point, Firestein pointed to a poster of Newsies and asked if he'd considered adapting the film. Menken said he and lyricist Jack Feldman had been wrestling with it for decades but couldn't make it work. Firestein, known for his work in Hairspray, Lacage au Fall, Torch Song Trilogy, and of course Kinky Boots, remembers the film fondly, even if it did contain bad Brooklyn accents. When he went back to the movie, Firestein said he realized it was a very old story, the next generation standing up for itself. Whether it's Tiananmen Square, or the Arab Spring, or the American Revolution, there comes a time when the older generation must step aside for the new one. If I'd done my job right, it makes a statement that's bigger than the Newsies. Firestein also realized that something was missing from the original. In a musical, there's an old rule. You must follow the love story, the four-time Tony Award-winning actor and writer said. It gives the audience somewhere to go and someplace to rest their hearts. The trouble with the film Newsies was that it lacked that spark of passion. The new musical retains the memorable songs Santa Fe, The World We Know, Carrying the Banner, Seize the Day, and King of New York. Alan Menken said, We never thought of the movie as something meant for the stage, but there was such a hunger for that to happen for a generation of kids because they loved it so much. In fact, 
Newsies was the top requested stage adaptation from Disney Films. As Firestein was writing the show, he was aware of the movie's fans. My biggest fear, he said, was making sure we didn't lose anything they loved, like musical numbers. Director Jeff Calhoun had similar concerns. It's very scary and intimidating, he said, because everyone's so enthusiastic about Newsies, so many people have seen it and love it. So, of course, you feel the pressure. But we have this incredible creative team, and the cast is as talented as any cast I've ever worked with. There are a number of differences between the movie and musical. Here are just a few of the major ones. Davy and Les's parents are mentioned only in conversation, omitting a scene from the movie where Jack has dinner in their tenement apartment. The lyrics to Santa Fe are changed to compensate for this change. The characters of Sarah Jacobs, Davy and Les's sister, and Jack's original love interest, and the New York Sun reporter Brian Denton are replaced in the musical by the composite character Catherine Plummer, a reporter with whom Jack falls in love with. As I stated earlier, Newsies was intended to be a licensing title for regional theaters and schools, but after critics raved about its debut in fall 2011 at the Paper Mill Playhouse in New Jersey, the production transferred largely intact to Broadway. The show opened on Broadway on March 15, 2012, and was originally scheduled as a five-month limited run to close on August 19th. The reason for this initial decision was Disney Theatrical Productions wanted to manage expectations about the musical from the get-go, since it was not developed to be a big Broadway show. However, within two months of opening on Broadway, Disney did an about-face and announced that the musical would now have an open-ended run. The show eventually racked up over 1,000 performances on Broadway, making it onto the list of the top 100 longest-running musicals of all time. Why did Disney make this decision? Well, a number of reasons. Strong ticket sales, eight Tony Award nominations, and good reviews and word of mouth among theatergoers. Box office records at the Nederlander Theater, and one of the best financial track records of any show that opened during the 2011-2012 Broadway season. The show did win two Tony Awards, one for the score by Alan Menken and lyrics by Jack Feldman. This is Menken's only Tony Award, and for Christopher Gatelli's scintillating choreography. During the hiatus between the show's engagement at the Paper Mill Playhouse and its opening on Broadway, there was a bit of intrigue to who would be cast in the lead. Jeremy Jordan, whose performance as the newsboy Jack Kelly drew a critical acclaim in the show's New Jersey premiere and helped persuade Disney theatricals to transfer to New York, was not initially available. After the New Jersey Playhouse production had closed, he had been cast in the lead of Frank Wildhorn's new musical, Bonnie and Clyde, on Broadway, and that opened on December 1, 2011. Fortunately for Newsies, Bonnie and Clyde closed after only one month, freeing Jordan for the soon-to-open Newsies. I have mentioned Newsies receiving glowing reviews both at its Paper Mill Playhouse run and on Broadway. Here's a sample. So this is from the theater critic Bob Rendell on the New Jersey opening. Disney's Newsies, the musical, has roared into the Paper Mill Playhouse in a sharp, snazzy, complex production, which thrillingly integrates book, music, and lyrics, choreography, scenery, and performances with amazing precision, dexterity, energy, and professional skill. This old-fashioned, melodious musical has been produced with a pizzazz that matches the best of Broadway. It is superior family entertainment. Choreographer Christopher Gatelli here solidifies his movement into the first rank of choreographers for the American musical theater. His robust and exciting choreography is not only extremely gymnastic, but this is show-stopping stuff. 
from The Hollywood Reporter. This is David Rooney about the Broadway opening. Rousing songs by Alan Menken and Jack Feldman, high-energy dance numbers, an appealing cast, and an uplifting story make this reconceived version of the film one of Disney Theatrical's most entertaining new properties in years. Make this reconceived version of the film one of Disney Theatrical's most entertaining new properties in years. You can call the show brashly formulaic, sentimental, or simplistic, but Newsies adheres to a time-honored Disney tradition of inspirational storytelling in the best possible sense. And I think any of us that have seen Newsies either at the Palace Theater, on Broadway, and other productions would heartily agree with both the review from the New Jersey preview and also from the Broadway opening. So, a question a number of people have, are the events in Newsies historically accurate? The central role of Jack Kelly is an amalgamation of several historical leaders of the Newsboy strike of 1899, primarily Kid Blink, who is featured in the film but is omitted from the musical. And he was known as a charismatic speaker and a leader to the younger boys. In the musical, the newspapers raised prices during July in 1899 after pressure to sell more papers after the war. However, the price for the papers was raised from 50 cents to 60 cents, not after, but during the Spanish-American War. The cause of the strike was that they did not lower the high prices after the war was over. This caused the newsies to revolt because they felt that it was more difficult to sell papers without the exciting news of the war, plus the additional pressures of the price changes. At the height of the strike, on July 24, 1899, the Newsboys Union held a massive rally at the New Irving Theater. Unlike in the musical, the rally was covered in extensive detail by the New York Sun and featured speeches from the union's leaders. It was rumored that for a period of time during the strike that Kid Blink secretly began working with Pulitzer and Hearst, which resulted in a massive riot of strikers versus scabs, similar to Jack's near betrayal after Pulitzer promises him a full ride to Santa Fe. Unlike in the film, the musical follows the historical ending of the strike where the world and the journal agreed to buy back all unsold papers. Historically, the price was kept at 60 cents per 100, but in the musical, they strike a deal for 55 cents per 100 papers. Let's hear a song from Newsies. I thought we would start with the rousing Act 2 opener, King of New York. You don't need money when you're famous. They give you whatever you want gratis. Such as a pair of new shoes with matching laces. Permanent box at the sheep's head races. me on the ride with a sour pickle. A personal puss on a wooden nickel. Look at me. Dream it, cause look at that pig with my 
from the musical Newsies. That was King of New York. And that concludes this episode of the Broadway Buzz that focused on movies turned into musicals that have played the Palace Theater. You've been listening to the Palace Theater's Broadway Buzz presented by Webster Bank. My name is Stuart Brown, founder of the 24-7 online Broadway radio station, soundsofbroadway.com, playing the best from Off-Broadway, Broadway, and the London stage. Thank you for listening. I hope you will join me on our next podcast episode. Until then, stay safe, be well, and be informed with the Broadway buzz. Entertaining new possibilities. The Palace Theater, your palace, your place. Shows for the whole family. Waterbury Palace, your palace, your place. Waterbury Palace.